dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. There are a plethora of books and articles written about leadership today, but most of them focused on leadership as if it was an individual enterprise, almost like something the leader does in a vacuum. In fact, however, leadership requires leading others, which means our relationship with others and ability to get them to join our cause is at the heart of what we're doing. Does our faith in Christ give us an advantage here? How does a Christian leader form a team and motivate them to give the very best of themselves? Hi, everybody, and welcome back again. I'm really glad and excited to be able to do this course with you on how to engage a team and how to motivate your people to give the very best of themselves. And I think it's really wonderful, especially to do this as Christians, because we, our faith in Jesus Christ is, is part, I mean, like Jesus sent us to win over the nations and to bring them into becoming evangelizers themselves. So we should be a religion. We should really have an edge by our faith in how to do this, because this is part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who has been sent by Christ to win people over so that they could then go and win people over who can win people over who can win people over, right? So I'm not talking about winning them over in terms of them giving allegiance to you. I'm talking about winning them over by inspiring them to follow Christ like you did. And that means that there's an analogy. It's not that you give them a spirit that then they pass on but that you inspire them to turn to Christ himself in their own unique way. And so no Christian is the same as any other, and yet every Christian has one thing in common. But they have it in common, that is Jesus and his presence in the world, in a way that's totally unique to them. Every one of us has a name, every one of us is unique, and yet every one of us has the same source, the same person living inside of us who has inspired us, saved us, and whom we serve, right? Now, isn't that, wouldn't that be wonderful to be able to do that as a leader in our business lives and to take that same genius and to bring it everywhere we go, to help our people, in other words, not just reproduce what we do or we tell them to do, but actually to step forward with their own genius, their own energies, their own drive, and to do it even better than us, right? To be surpassed by our followers ought to be our goal. And we, I mean, we see this, even St. John of the Cross, for example, way back in the 15th century, he actually said this. He said, the goal of every spiritual director, and he, there he's speaking about a priest who kind of mentors someone else. He says, the goal of every spiritual director is to become redundant meaning to inspire the person with the same level of autonomy so that they can make the decisions and the spiritual director is simply validating them, right? So the educating people underneath you to step into leadership 
is a different thing from educating people to simply do what they're told. And I see an analogy here between what we're trying to do as good leaders in our companies and in our workplace environment, namely to form leaders underneath us, and what we do as Christians to help people to give their unique genius and their unique talents and to find their unique identity by serving Christ. There's an analogy. Now, the analogy means that there's more things different about it than there is in common, but there's something still in common between those two. And so if we build upon that analogy, I think we can learn from what the genius of our faith is and how we do that in order to do that there where we lead in the secular environment. Now, the, the, the important thing before we get into that is to see the importance of it, okay? When I'm talking about creating a leader, I'm talking about someone who's able to assess a situation, claim responsibility for it, diagnose accurately the problem to be solved, marshal the appropriate resources in order to meet that problem and move forward. Okay, now that, that is a whole, you can see how rare those people are and, and why they're so valuable in any organization. That's why you are so valuable for our society. God has given you this incredible talent and this incredible set of characteristics that enable you to move the ball forward in a changing, difficult, and stressful environment. And just frankly, there's just not a lot of people able to do that. And that's the problem. That's why I think we want to raise up saints to lead by helping the saints of God assume that role of leadership and then helping leaders to become saints of God. And, and that's what we do at the St. John Leadership Network. That's why we're here. But they see the importance of this to become that person. You've got to get beyond the I'm following the rules to have the sense that when you're a leader of people, you're there to create in them the capacity to lead in their turn. Now, obviously, this isn't for everybody. There's some people that's just not appropriate for. Some people don't want it. Some people will never be able to do that. Okay, but for those who can, I need as a leader to have that optic as a manager in a company to be looking down and trying to find the next generation of people who I can raise up. And when you've identified those people from business owners looking down, from, uh, from a senior executives looking down, from the management to look down, if we have that care to raise people up in their talent to become leaders, well, then we're going to be more successful in our company, but we're also going to be more satisfied in our leadership because we really become the mentors who we really know we want to be. Do you want to be the type of person that at the end of your career says, man, I learned all of this and it's going to die with me? Well, no. I mean, it's a natural thing in a person's career life that towards the end, they wish that they could pass down to the next generation the things that they learned. And I also think it's a healthy human thing that's part of our satisfaction. Well, can you imagine if as a company you were doing that? If everyone was already working and inculcating a spirit in their people underneath them to allow them to not only do what they've done, but to do even better? I mean, it's almost like a dream, right? It's like not even realistic to think about it. Well, let's, let's see if we can get close to that dream in any case. Because if I look at the principles of Catholic business leadership that the Vatican issued back in 2011, uh, the, the Vatican came out with this great document and it gives six practical principles. Principle number three of business leadership is that one, that a business ought to provide and, and be built on the principle of subsidiarity, 
which means that you should be looking to build up those who are underneath you so that they can rise and even do better than you. I was like, that's a, that's a pretty amazing thought that that's actually part of our Catholic Church's wisdom, that a company will be stronger when it's able to progress and you can't progress without leaders. That's the key. So how do I form a leader? Well, we know very well that a leader is formed from the inside. There's, there's a training on the outside of learning the, the essentials that you need. But the real genius of a leader is that something, that fire that's in their heart, right? That ability of intelligence and will, that combination between those two, that allows them to apply their knowledge and their skills appropriately with proper judgment in the circumstances in which they find themselves with the grit and determination to bend and be flexible in order to arrive at that goal that they've set for themselves. And all of that's undergirt by self-esteem, by confidence, by uh, the ability to be rebuilt again and, and the ability to make mistakes, all those other characteristics. But I mean, the, the elements to form a leader are complex and yet most of them can't be taught. I mean, you can, you can encourage them, you can train, I suppose you can help uncover them, right? But it's not something you can be taught in the sense of looking at it from a book, reading it, and then applying it. Like that you need to uh, own leadership as part of your name. A leader, leadership really flows out of identity. And that's something that's at the heart of a Christian vision. And we're going to get more into it. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So how do I go about helping my people, so to speak, become properly motivated with the same desire that I have so that they can actually employ or deploy their, their gifts and talents and employ themselves, right, properly towards the goal that we've all chosen as a team, right? Well, this is a key element of my leadership. I, I always go back to this poll that was done by Gallup, and they, they analyzed what are the top four qualities of a leader. And I was really surprised by this poll because quality number one is vision, and quality number four is passion. And I thought, well, that makes sense. A person with vision and a person with passion, sure, they're going to get people to follow them. And as I thought about it, that's actually where I see the majority of, you know, of leadership books and models and videos and all this. When you think of a great leader, you think of, you know, George Patton, you know, someone like that, right? Full of vision and full of passion. But it's a very individualistic kind of vision of great leaders and one that in the end is really not the secret of their success. The secret of the success of a leader is in the second and third qualities. Number two is that they are trustworthy and seen as trustworthy by their people. And then number three is that they are able to trust and give authority to those around them, that they're able to let go and entrust uh, the people underneath them with a task at hand. And I think this is amazing because when you look at the career of these great leaders, they, they're almost like vision and passion are the necessary prerequisites. But the thing that's going to guarantee their effectiveness is in their ability to be trusted and to trust. 
I'm thinking of Eugene of, Sav of Savoy, some uh, general you may never have heard of at the end of the 16th century, but he was listed by Napoleon as one of the top seventh, seven greatest generals of all time in all military history. And Eugene of Sa Savoy was amazing on the battlefield because he would lead the charges from the front line all until he got older and then he tried to manage his last war from Vienna and it was a total failure. He stayed back, he stayed in the office while he let the soldiers run the war and no one fought for him, right? You could have vision, you can have passion, but if you're not able to have that relationship with the people, then the people aren't gonna fight for you, right? That second and third of the four qualities from the Gallup poll is, is really where the effectiveness of leadership is gonna preside. And you can think about this in your own family, you can think about this with your relationships, right? You can have all of the strength that you want inside of yourself, but if you don't have that relatability and that ability to form good relations, well, you're not going to be able to create that harmony amongst your team. So what then is the secret? I mean, how do you do that? Well, if I go back and I look at how our Lord did it himself, I think I could, I could have a good model, right? Like, how does God create the 12 apostles who will be so dynamic in their witness, by the way, that they've ended up taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? I need, need I remind you that God's plan for saving the world rested upon the shoulders of 12 men. And, and that really should astound you. He didn't spend, he didn't say, okay, I'm gonna create, you know, websites and programs and all these things. To, he started with people. And I think that there's a huge advantage in that. If you have one leader, you can, you can build organization after organization after organizations. But if you have just organizations and you don't have leaders, well, they'll implode. And so God, who wanted to build an organization, which is, by the way, the oldest continual organization in the, on the face of the earth, which is the Roman Catholic Church, and to start that organization, he puts all of it on 12 individuals. It shows us something. The importance of the person. It is a person who's going to lead and a person who's going to perform. So my ability to communicate with what's inside of me and put it inside of that person is going to be the heart of my effectiveness in creating a following or bringing people on board to my team. My ability to communicate is at the heart of everything. To communicate not just what is to be done, although that's part of it, but why we're doing it. Especially for the leader, to pass on your spirit, what's inside and driving you into that person. It's something that can't be done in a univocal sense, right? It can't be done in a way that's just like uh, where they are now saying and thinking exactly what you said and what you thought. No, no, no. The spirit is not that way. A spirit is, is a profound motivation that goes beyond how you do things, but where you can say we're united in the same why and we're united in the same drive to get this thing done. And then they might do it in a very different way, and I have to accept that. But there's something inhabiting them that I was able to communicate to them. The, the deep motivation, the deep spirit, the heart, right, of what that was inside of me. And the more I can be effective about communicating my heart, not in a sappy emotional sense, but in a deep drive, well, the more also God can use me to communicate his heart. 
The beautiful thing about my faith and, and what I'm doing as a Catholic leader is that I'm, in the, I'm an instrument of God who's also using me to pass on his spirit in the world. And he's doing this in the middle of a business. I love this, that your business is your avocation. It might not be your profound vocation, but it's the part of God's vineyard that you are to tend. And, and that means that if you're going to become a saint in business, well, then you need to do business. <laughs> I mean, you might not do it perfectly, might not even do it really well, but you need to really try to apply yourself to do, to do business and to do it in accordance with God, etc. But don't act like your sanctity somehow or other can be extracted from the context of where God has asked you to exercise it. To, to, a saint in business will push business to higher levels, to greater innovation, to better practices, to a more human environment. I mean, business itself can be sanctified when saints are in charge of it. And this is where, why it's so important for you to pass on your heart because your heart is much business, bigger than your ability to read a spreadsheet or guess at valuations of companies or, you know, invest in the right stuff on the stock market. I mean, that's, that's a big part of it, but your heart is more than that. It's the spirit that's driving you into those situations. Because you know as well as I, those situations are going to change. We need people that can read the changes and that can become responsible for bringing them to a better end. That's a leader and that's the type of person that we're trying to form. Well, to do that, I need to get in touch with my own self, right? Deeper than the, the mere, you know, uh, superficial realities that our secular culture allows us to define ourselves by. Get, our, get ourselves our true identity that I'm bringing into that changing place and that, that place of, of business. But I need to get in touch with that and then communicate that effectively to the people who are on my team. And if I'm able to do that, they will in their own right and with their own talents have the same ability and then hopefully even better than me to read the situation around them and to apply themselves to making it better. They're going to become leaders in their own right. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So we keep pondering this, this reality, right, of how do I effectively mentor people who are around me? And I think at the heart of the mentoring or the heart of the inspiring of future leaders, right? The heart of subsidiarity, if you want to be theological about it, lies the, the, the ability to communicate, to, to pass on what's in your heart and the spirit that's inside of you effectively into those who are around you. So the question becomes, well, how do we do that? Well, in, well the very first step is that we need to be convincing that our spirit has value, right? And this is a hard thing, especially for us who are used to being humble and are used to really, and who realize our littleness. I, I've met so many great people in the world in a worldly sense who are Im imbued with a deep sense of humility, even deeper than I've seen in religious and, and, and priests. I mean, you know, real, the people who have made it and yet look back and say, you know, I am nothing in the great scheme of things and spend their lives and their wealth uh, in turn in generous ways giving back 
There are many who do this. And, and that, sense, that beautiful sense of humility that's in them is a, is a beautiful thing to behold. And we can be filled with that sense so much, though, that sometimes we can silence ourselves from the, the true greatness that we have found. And there, there's something we have to work on. The very first thing to understand, I'm going to get my children, for example, to follow me as a parent towards you know, my vision for my family and for their, their lives. I need to exhibit the love that I have for that dream, for that goal. I call this victory, right? I need to embody the victory. Do I, in my face, in my demeanor, in my actions, in my words, am I myself demonstrating the love for the end goal that I wish that they would have as well? You could just, I mean, look around. Like, here's an example. I go to people's houses and I don't see a single picture of Jesus or a single picture of the Blessed Mother. No, I mean, like, that's a fine thing, I suppose. But then again, it's not. I mean, apples are nice. You see mountains. You see horses on the walls, you know. But you don't see a picture of Jesus or a picture of the Blessed Mother. And you say, well, okay, what message are you invisibly giving to your children? I mean, deeply, I know your faith is important to you, but then you're upset that your children aren't following in the faith. Well, look around your house and say, are you yourself proud of that faith? You know, are, are you stepping forward in your own demeanor and in your own life towards the, the, the things that enamor you and that you want in a visible and a public way? So obviously in a workplace, you know, this is going to be, you know, done differently because you're not there in order to evangelize by bringing faith in an overt sense. But the, the, the dignity that you have for your own job. Here's an example. I remember one time I was, I was working uh, as a roofer and the, the foreman on our job was an amazing leader. He had a very difficult crew. I mean, just people that, you know, were difficult to, to maintain. And he maintained them in great order. We loved working for this guy. And at one point I asked him, I said, you know, what is the way that you've done this? You're not the physically strongest of this group. You don't, you know, uh, yell or scream. How is it that the, the men all follow you? And I remember him smiling and he said, there's two things I do. Number one, I don't cuss. And number two, I wear a clean pair of pants to work every single day. And that's it. And I remember that because he said, this is like his secret. He said, by doing that, I set myself apart in, in a way that, well, I don't know, evidently works. And I'll tell you why it worked. It worked because all of us looked up to him. He was someone different from the rest. And he was someone who was walked in a dignity that, that expressed how he saw the workplace. And that sense of his vision for the workplace was passed down to us who then wanted to do good work because our foreman was there leading us in, in, by, by those two simple ways. But he embodied that vision that he wanted us to have. And we did. And I think that that's the same wherever we go in our work. How do you view yourself the project that you're doing. If you look at the project as another way to make money and as another thing that doesn't really matter in the world, well, you're never going to excite a team or motivate them to do their best. They're going to do exactly what they see you doing. The very first step, the thing I need to express is, is the victory and the sense of why I'm really doing this. And maybe that's really hard. Maybe in your company, it's a really hard thing to do. And I, I'm not saying it's easy. But to the degree that you can, 
and in your family the same way. The very first step to communicating a spirit is to embody it, right? To find a way to show that you are yourself enthused and excited about this vision. And where that ends up, it ends up in a fruitfulness where the, the people underneath you become in their own right and in their own way uh, imbued with that same spirit. When I look at how our Lord evangelizes us, this is exactly the beautiful thing. Each one of us is like a special color in a beautiful kaleidoscope of a stained glass window. Uh, and, and each one of us can never be replaced. And, each, and yet each one of us is unique. And yet it's the same light that's shining through each one of us in our own ways. And that, that means that if I'm really successful in my mentoring, or if I'm really successful in being a leader for my team, the people underneath me might, might go into a different industry, but you know, they'll go into a different industry as a better leader because of the time they spent with us. And isn't that a rewarding thought? I remember talking to a soccer coach one time who told all of his team, and his team was just a bunch of little kids, but he said, my goal is to make you better soccer players. Okay, so whether we win or we lose, you will leave here ready to be improved by the next coach. Uh, there's a, there's a, a neat spirit. That's a spirit that's different from saying we're going to win at all costs. He had a different vision. His vision was to create soccer players. Well, my vision as a leader is to create leaders. It's, and, and, and if I can do that, I can move everything upwards and, and forwards and find a deeper satisfaction anyway in my life. And so what do I need to do? Going back, communication is at the heart of it. Am I really making contact with the people that I'm leading? Do they know me from the inside? Do I know them from the inside? Am I putting them first and making sure in the sense that putting, you know, adapting my message to what they need? And in the heart of all of this, there's a, a kind of fatherhood or motherhood, you know, of the spirit that's at play here. And obviously that's a very strong image and in terms of, you know, the workplace, it has to be moderated and all that. But essentially coming from our Catholic tradition, that's what it is. A spiritual motherhood or spiritual fatherhood. It's one that puts the other one first. It educates and helps to lift them up towards the best that they could do. And so I need to be embodying myself in, in an outward way, that greatness that I'm striving for. And then I need to remember that the ultimate way this happens is when they embody it in their own way. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.